What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. five movies this morning co-host chris gasper this is frank pelican you're listening to the quick cage and frank which nick cage movie are you going to tell us about tonight so tonight we are going to talk about the 2010 uh superhero black comedy kick-ass um directed by matthew vaughn uh also starring well starring aaron johnson christopher mintz chloe grace moretz um and then Cage is in a supporting role here. Um, so, basic premise of the movie is kid that gets bullied pretty regularly um, decides he wants to be a superhero and basically gets almost murdered um, trying to foil his first crime. So he has metal bonded to his bones and he loses like all feeling in his nerves. So he can take like an incredible beating without any like real injury. Um, or at least without feeling the effects of real injury. So he goes to become a superhero again. Um, it's based on a comic book of the same name. Uh, kind of follows like the first couple arcs of the comic. Um, he falls in love with this girl who thinks that he's gay so he becomes like her gay best friend but then he reveals that he's kick-ass that's his superhero name to her and they form like a sexual romantic relationship um he's got a couple of best friends played by clark duke from the office and evan peters from like everything ever um i mean it's, it's pretty standard like mid like late 2000s early 2010s super bad-esque like overly foul overly sexualized teen movie with just an incredible amount of violence in it um that being said it's not a terrible movie uh the plot is you know the big subplot is that um cage plays uh big daddy who's a batman-esque superhero um, who uses like lethal weapons like guns and grenades and knives to take out his foes. Um, and he has a daughter who's 11, I think, in the movie Kayfabe. Um, Hit Girl, that's played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, who he's also trained to be like a super lethal, violent assassin. Um, a lot of the humor in it comes from just like the use of language and like the sheer brutality with with, pe- with which people get like murdered basically by these quote unquote superheroes um, and the level of adoration that they inspire in the common people um, by basically just you know standing up for whatever the rights of the everyman and people kind of ignore the fact that they're incredibly violent. Um, it's fine. Like, I think I like this movie more when I saw it the first time, although I think I, I still found it. 
Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that um, I was actually surprised. I'm actually surprised because this was one of the ones that I was like, oh, okay, this will be a positive review. And I guess it is, but um, you're you're definitely down more down on it now, it seems, than you, you ever were before. So this is not a movie that in its form... this is not a movie that could be made today in the same form that it was made 11 years ago. Um, How so? There's some moderate sexualization of the Chloe Grace Moretz character, Mm. um, both in kind of the way that they film her and the way that she acts um, and the way that she's kind of like pseudo-sexualized by uh, Kick-Ass's friends. Um, especially Evan Peters, who has a couple of uncomfortable lines where he talks about how, like, um, even though she's only 11, if he waits a few years, it would still be okay and stuff like that. Um, also, like, the language that they have her use. I mean, one of her, um, one of her first lines is, okay, you cunts, let's see what you can do now. Mm. Um and she was 12 at the time of filming. So it's 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 a little uncomfortable. Right. There's also some kind of thinly veiled homophobia in it too with, you know, the main joke of the mid portion of the movie being that he's pretending to be gay so he can see her naked. It's like I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry kind of, you know, um mm-hmm. level of, of humor. Um and then just like her falling for him because she realizes that he was the guy that she wanted all the time or whatever. Um, and also some, you know, portrayal of like, I don't know, just like ethnic minorities as being violent criminals for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, because all the superheroes in the movie are wasps, basically, you know, kick ass, hit girl. Um, Big Daddy are all like white suburbanites for the most part, even though it's kind of an urban environment, I suppose. Um, Christopher Mintz-Ploss, who is the kind of villain in the movie, um, who's the son of the main crime lord in the city. Um, you know, he's like a white kid. So there's uh, like all the people, like a lot of the people that get killed are hispanic or asian or black or italian and there's a lot of you know i don't know it's just it's it's a movie that would be very questionable were it to be made today although apparently they're um considering a reboot of it hmm. um there was a sequel that came out in um 2012 or 2000 2013 it came out mm-hmm. um still starring um Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl with uh, Christopher Mintz-Ploss becoming the um, the main villain in it. Um, Nicolas Cage dies in this movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. So he is not in the sequel. Um, but more of the same, you know. And I remember not really liking that movie as much. I just felt kind of tired at that point. Um, that's, it's interesting. That's, that's, just, that's just one less quick cage. Right, you're right. 100%. I made sure to check that when I was watching this. Like, do I got to watch this sequel again? Because <laughs> I couldn't remember. Um, if you take something like Deadpool, which is much more tongue-in-cheek and much more good-natured, even though it's like a similar approach to the superhero genre, 
it's a much better movie overall because the vulgarity and the shocking aspects of it feel like they're just more in service of the plot as opposed to the plot being in service of setting up somebody using the word cunt or motherfucker or chopping somebody's leg off or something. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, yeah. it's, it's the opposite here where it feels like, let me set up a scene where I can do something incredibly shocking just for the shock value of it, as opposed to, Oh, well like we're moving to this scene. So now let's do this because you know, it'll elicit a reaction from the audience, right. but still advance the plot. So. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because it's actually adapted by a woman. Um, Jane Goldman, she's responsible. She has a lot of things to her credit. She's responsible for Stardust, um, which is also with Matthew Vaughn, um, Kick-Ass, and then all those X-Men movies from like First Class and Days of Future Past. And her original is The Woman in Black, her original screenplay. She adapted Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the King, one of the Kingsman movies. She also wrote that Rebecca um, adaptation that you didn't like last year. No, I, I didn't dislike it. I never watched it. Oh. I could have swore you told me you watched that and you didn't like it. No, I kept meaning to watch it and uh, thinking I would just like it. And okay. then I was like, hell, but maybe I will like it, but then I didn't watch it. Yeah, so I don't know. I, do you know the source material at all? Mm-hmm. I've read I've read um, a decent amount of the comics. Is 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 the things you're talking about in terms of sexualization and um, like the homophobia and stuff like that, like in the source material? Sure. Okay. Um, but comics have for like a long time been kind of behind, um, sort of behind the times, I guess, in terms of moving forward with a more modern mindset i mean you still can pick up shit it's only been a couple years since there was a huge scandal because they got um like a pornographic comic artist to do covers of um female superhero comics at marvel i mean maybe like five years but you know what i mean like so there's still there's still it's still an overwhelmingly targeted like young teen male audience even though I would say that probably the majority of people that read comics are old, yeah, they're 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 old, um, like middle aged. We have a word for some of those people now. They're called incels, right? Right, right. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I'm generalizing. Obviously, I don't really think that, but I mean, some of them are. <laughs> I'm just. You look at stuff like, here's a really good example of something that's done right. So, around the same time that Kick-Ass was being produced um, as a comic series. So, Kick-Ass was from, like, the later 2000s, like, 08, 09, something like that, until, like, the mid-2010s, roughly. And I, I probably read it off and on from 09 until, like, 2013, because I used to borrow it from a guy that I worked with. Um who read it like monthly and then loved it the boys is so in a similar time frame the original boys series right. by garth ennis sure which is and i garth ennis is one of my childhood comic book writer heroes like i love garth ennis but he's very much someone that's stuck in the past in terms of 
And he's never been homophobic or sexist. He always has very strong female characters in his work. He always has really strong gay characters that aren't the butt of a joke. But he's got a very crass, lowest common denominator sense of humor about the way that he writes things or the way that things happen. And if you watch The Boys Adaptation on Amazon, it's a much more mature and modern approach to that source material. So I think that if you remade Kick-Ass today and you change some things about it, because Hit Girl isn't sexualized in terms of the clothes she wears or anything, although I guess from like a certain perspective, you could probably say that dressing her like a schoolgirl, there's some sexualization you know, that would happen on certain people's parts there. Sure. But it's like, I, I think the writing would be different. I think the approach to the character development would be different. I don't know if they would keep the gay best friend subplot in there, or if they did, they wouldn't like, <clears throat> they wouldn't have it be the butt of the joke of, because, you know, because on one hand, like that makes sense because they're teenage boys. I mean, that's, you know, when we were teenage boys, you made fun of people and called them gay and stuff like that because there was no common social decency teaching you that that wasn't the right thing to do. But I think that like all of us have grown to understand that, you know, there's certain things that just aren't cool to make fun of somebody about, or, you know, that implying someone's gay doesn't make them a lesser being or a bad person. Like that's a really immature way to look at it. So if, the, if you would have told me this movie was made in, like, 98, I would have felt much better about it than knowing it was made in 2010 because it feels like by that point we had kind of moved on a little bit from having those ideas. And right. I don't know. So we haven't talked about Nick Cage in this movie at all, so let's talk about it. All right. Um, he plays the Bruce Wayne-esque character pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um the conceit is that he's raised his daughter to kind of look at everything as like a game sort of, and they're like learning to play this game and the ultimate goal. Like he writes and illustrates a comic that she reads where it's about their exploits and, you know, taking down this bad guy and that being the ultimate aim because the bad guy framed him for a crime he didn't commit and then murdered his wife. And um, he plays it pretty well. He plays it pretty straight. Um, It's kind of, kind of a weird riff on his Raising Arizona character um, just in the way like the expressions he uses and the voice he uses um, hey, but he's fine nice. in it I haven't seen this since it came out like roughly around that time so I mean, I mean he's only in it for maybe 30 minutes of screen time total he's definitely a supporting character in it Mm-hmm. Um, but he has some really good action sequences and the performance is fine I mean he he definitely is one of the brighter points of the movie okay so yeah so kick ass so how long is he in it maybe a total of 30 nah, maybe not even that maybe like 25 minutes of screen time He's got a three or four minute segment early and then he's got another three or four minute segment and then a couple of five minute segments here and there. 
Yeah. I mean, he's he dies like leading into the um the final act basically. Like his death is the catalyst for the the final act. And the final act is maybe 20 minutes. How long is it? Like 90 minutes or something? Uh no, it's much longer than that. It's close uh, to close, 2 yeah, hours. Yeah, so I would say probably about like 25 to 30 minutes of that movie is season. So definitely a supporting character role, but a major, like a main supporting character. Yeah. So yeah. So I don't know. So what's the performance like rating on this? He's a six out of ten. It's fine. Like it's not over the top, even though it has some over the top moments, and it's definitely an interesting read on. It's it, it's an interesting parody of Batman, basically. Yeah. Um, he's made better by how good, uh, Chloe, Chloe Moretz is in this. Mm-hmm. Um, she's probably the highlight of the whole movie. Um, just her performance is really like, you, you can tell why she's become, you know, like a pretty, yeah, pretty, you know, like respected actress in her, um, sure. I guess she, like young age or whatever. Yeah. She's she's got good comedy chops to her. I mean, she's got pretty good delivery for her age and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, she's I mean, good in this. She's that, um that um that season of Thirty Rock that she was in, maybe two seasons um where she was recurring, um playing oh, I can't remember his name the um the Comcast like whatever the hell that was called oh, um yeah. his granddaughter um I mean she's got good timing. Cable Town, uh, Cable, Cable Town, Town that's it. Yeah, yeah, Hank something. I can't, Hank, remember. it is Hank. Yeah, all right, good job. She's good in she's good in the American adaptation of um, Let the Right One In, okay, even though that's not the best movie. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, she's been in some terrible stuff too, though. Oh, yeah, um. Like I'm looking at her. I just clicked on her um, filmography, and it's 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 some really bad, very small sample size. Women do not seem to like her at all. I don't know why. Very small sample size that I'm pulling from, but women don't seem to like her. God, that's a lot of fucking movies. Jesus Christ, she's got like a cage filmography. She was in the remake of Suspiria, which I really enjoyed. Um. She was in the sequel to one of my guilty pleasure comedies of the past like decade or so in Neighbors, but I've never seen the sequel she was in. Mm. I thought Neighbors was pretty funny, honestly. So yeah. she was good in, um only because I watched it um you know a few weeks ago. Um she's pretty good in the equalizer too, even though it's only like maybe like twelve minutes of screen time or so. It's weird. I could have sworn I'd seen her in more than this. I really do like that Suspiria remake, though. I don't know if we ever talked about that. We've never, we we never talked about it, no, because I didn't. It was one of those ones where it's like I've never hit play on it. So I think you're waiting for me to watch it at some point, maybe. Yeah, the only problem with it is um, the ending. Like, it's seriously, it's just dragged down by the last like ten minutes of the of the movie. It kind of just goes off the rails. So. And I think around the time that came out, I 
think we were still doing the 80s horror list and i think i was just like like even though i like suspiria the original like i was just too close and i just couldn't hit play and then it just never happened it will someday it will someday well it'll be on the list so okay so what's the overall movie score it's a five out of ten, maybe a six out of ten. I mean, it's not a terrible movie, but it's not like the best movie either. So, yeah. all right, cool. it, that, that, that one, sounds like a, that sounds like a five out of ten. Yeah. So it's one that I would like to see remade as like a like a Netflix series, maybe or a Prime series, where they would have maybe six or seven episodes to tell the story. And kind of expand on these people more so they're not just um they're not just like kind of cookie cutter characters. Right. Um like his friends I think could be expanded more and I think you could make them more interesting. Um the girlfriend I think would be more interesting and their relationship would be better. Um honestly, Christopher Mintz class and his father and like all the stuff with their um because the cronies like the henchmen are actually pretty funny in the movie mm-hmm. um and they have some of the better like comedic parts to them so i would like to kind of see more <clears throat> more of them um even the father uh, I, th- I think would have been more would have been better served by having a, a more robust part so and just the relationship between kick-ass and his dad because there's a point where his dad basically realizes that he is kick-ass and then it's just kind of like oh you know cool don't get hurt and they don't really ever expand upon that very much. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like there. So, I mean, the reason that he becomes a superhero in the first place is because his mom dies of a brain like aneurysm at the breakfast table, and he's just kind of aimless. And he's thinking like, oh, you know, why don't people become superheroes? Like I could do that. And that's when he gets his ass kicked, but and basically murdered. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 I like the premise. Um. I think maybe in this modern age of like the glut of superhero movies, it doesn't necessarily work. And there's other movies that are like this. You know, you look at like Birdman and you look at um, what's that? Uh, Rain Wilson Super, that yeah. movie, mm-hmm. and um, kind of mystery men to an extent. Even though they have powers, they're still just kind of like normal people. Right. Um, there's actually a comic book series from the late 80s early 90s maybe um written and drawn by a guy named rick rick beach rick veitch um called the the brat pack maybe is that what it's called anyway it's about um sidekicks of superheroes and it's really dark like drug use and uh, like abuse like physical and sexual abuse and um psychosis and stuff like that but like, I always kind of think of everything as being a sort of just lesser version of that kind of stuff, you know, that people were doing in the 80s and 90s. Right. As a reaction to the glut, like the rise of the superhero comics. Um, so I feel like maybe as, you know, sort of a, um, uh, I don't know, like a, like to sort of counteract just how many, like how much like superheroes are sort of being like revered again, like you do something like this and it makes it. It would be an interesting watch. So, I don't know. All right. So, I would not recommend watching it 
a lot, but if you're like there and you have Peacock and you have nothing to do, <laughs> then, you know, it's free. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest after this, it's like, I might never watch it again. Like ever. Oh yeah. If you've seen it once, you don't need to see it. Yeah. again. You're not going to like have some revelation. Yeah. Oh my God, this is right. amazing. And there's scenes in this movie. that are really, really good. Like, Vaughn does a really great job of capturing the action scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you this, one of the things that he does that's really kind of refreshing is he does not do the slow down close, or like the sped up close combat confusing like where are the punches coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, it's almost fetishistic in the way he, he does the opposite in that he slows it down and he lets you see where the you know where the action is like he lets you just kind of like watch it and lets it sink in and not to say that everything's in slow motion but it's definitely very like it's much more in the vein of like john woo or um you know like it's like a sammo hung movie or something as opposed to mm-hmm. like a jason Bourne movie or you know whatever right. something like yeah. More recent. Mm-hmm. yeah i got you so, yeah all right, so I texted you about this um, this weekend, and somehow Google's finally like um, with my YouTube recommendations. Finally, is uh, been like, hey, like here's some cage stuff, um, which I've avoided largely um, throughout the past whatever fifty five episodes. And there was an interview with Cage. Um, that I texted you and you were going to watch later in the night. And eventually we talked about it and I was like, just don't watch it. Like I, I, I want, I want you to just like watch this, like when we're like on the podcast since then, just so you understand, because I watched this one video, I have been recommended so many Nick cage interviews. And now one of my like fucking things that I do is sit around and watch fucking Nick cage interviews from different years. Um, so I have a pretty wide understanding of Nick Cage through the years now in terms of like his interview style and like who he was when he was younger versus who he was when he was older. And one of the things that I found most interesting about like this when you started it was trying to figure out who the fuck Nick Cage is. Um, and you focus like, you know, on his performances and that kind of stuff. So intermittently every once in a while, I think what I want to do is... I've been kind of saving a couple different like interviews like in YouTube and very occasionally I want to just go through the era of Nick Cage um, and kind of show you some clips of Nick Cage in these interviews, even though I know that this is not something that you like is to like see the person behind the direction or the performance or anything like that, just so that we can talk a little bit about the i think what is the maturation of nick cage through the years um so i am going to go ahead and share this to you um on my screen here and share sound and this is a nick cage interview right before wild at heart comes out it is um i don't know who this wogan guy is but it's a uk show that he's on and I want you to watch this, which is also a performance um, of Nick Cage's. <clears throat> so I'm going to go ahead and hit play, and I will probably stop just intermittently. Oh. 
It's very. So, so just so everybody understands what has happened when Nick Cage has come out here, is he has come out and he has been doing karate kicks in the air while wearing black jeans, a leather jacket. His hair, oddly, looks very much like um, the weird-ass, like, hair that he's been carrying for, like, the past, like, five years, where you can start seeing, like, how he's balding and stuff like that. Um, also, I think a black shirt. Um, and then he, threw then he threw something into the audience, which I don't know if that was money, or I have no idea what he was throwing into the audience. Well, but... he came out his pants, so... Well, <laughs> Understatements the watchword tonight. Oh, my, hang on, my mic, darn it, all that physical activity just took my mic off. <laughs> you did a bit of that in Wild at Heart when you danced it. Sure all did. Those, all those karate kicks. Oh, heck, I'll just hold it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry about that. I just had to get it off my chest, and I was a bit wound up back there, so. Were you? Worked up. Well, I was just a little worked up. Do you get, do you get carried away? <sighs> well... I don't know if I get carried away. I just sort of have a good time. And, you know, you invited me on your show, you, so I'm just going to have a blast. A blast. Eh? That's right. Do you, do you find that kind of thing <clears throat> loosens you up just to do a handsprings like that? Because I do that quite often. Do you? But, but <laughs> before we start. I don't, I don't do it then, me, I and, me and Harry. Before. I wouldn't doubt it because you know who you remind me of? You remember the uh, TV Arnold show? Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, the Avengers. <laughs> the Avengers. Remember Mr. Steed? Diana Rigg. I Diana Rigg and Mr. Steve, yeah. the Avengers. Give it up for the Avenger! All Thank right. you. That's me. Now tell me about you. Let's talk about you now, Nicholas. Oh, sure thing. Because time's a-wasting. Yeah, I got you. Uh, Wild at Heart, first of all, it's your new movie. And it's, it's, I have to say, I saw it in black and white because my video machine is not working properly. And I thought, oh, it's arty. It's done in black and white. But it's in full color, actually. Yeah, it? it is. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's an extraordinary movie. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, and you're, again, I'm, I'm not big on sycophancy, but you're great, isn't it? Well, thanks. You know what? This leather's really hot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're sorry now. I, you I got to tell you something, guys. I, uh, my, my mic isn't working. I hate to do this to you, Terry, but Mandy gave you a T-shirt. Yeah. And uh, You're not going to give me, no, don't. You're going to give me your snakeskin jacket, aren't you? No, no, I got to give you my Wild at Heart T-shirt. Oh. Because... I'll just put this. Uh, I'll just put these jackets. It's a big night on. for me, I can tell you. It's Wild a, at heart. It's a. So again, action that's not really explained here is Cage is now taken off his leather jacket, taken off his shirt, given it to the host, and is now wearing just his leather jacket over his bare um, chest. This guy's an asshole. Um, just so you know. <clears throat> Big night for me. Tell me how you started in the acting. I mean, uh, wait, did you, is that what you always wanted to do? Well, you know, when I was six years old, I used to watch the TV, you know, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> I used to oh. wonder how those little guys, like like me right there. How... That's cocaine, just so you know, if you, if you didn't know. <laughs> how I got into the TV, how they were talking like you, you know, and I wanted to, I tried to figure out ways of getting inside that TV set. So that was the first time I really wanted to be an actor, I think. Yeah. You, you have been quoted as saying that if, if you hadn't been an actor, you'd be dead now. Well, you know, maybe I was a little bit far-fetched. <laughs> I, uh, I guess I had this need, you know, to do kind of crazy things. And if maybe if I hadn't become an actor, I used to like the idea of robbing banks. Yeah. So at least now I don't really have to rob a bank. I can just do it in a movie. 
safer that way. But if you wanted to, the guys and I, we'd go out and we'd do, we'd help you. If you want to really? get it off your chest, we'll rob a couple of you banks. You want to go now. rob a bank with me? Well, they're all closed now. We'll have to wait what until Tuesday. You get off work soon? It's or? a bank holiday, so Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll make a day. All right. See, so you've come over here to get away from all the excitement? Well, are you going to work here? What are you uh, no, I came over here to go on your show. Oh. Yeah. You see? You see? People still care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what age were you? I mean, you're now 26. Right. You've been acting since? You know, uh, since I was 16, 10 years. Yeah. I d you didn't go to acting, you didn't go to acting school though. I mean, you're, are you, would you say you're a natural actor? <clears throat> well, <laughs> there was a story I used to get beat up on the bus a lot. I went, I went to a correctional school for juvenile delinquents, and I wasn't a big guy. I was 10 years old. I got kicked out of school because I was, you know, the class clown coming up with pranks and whatnot, fried grasshoppers and people's egg salad sandwiches. And uh, I used to get beat up on the bus every day. And that, then I was Nikki Coppola. That was my name. So one day I went to school, and I dressed up, put my cowboy boots on, put my black leather jacket on, put my sunglasses on, <clears throat> and uh, said I was Roy Richards. And if you, uh, if you mess around with my, my cousin, Nikki Coppola, I'm going to kick your ass. So after that, they never screwed around with me anymore. So that was really my first acting experience. <laughs> Coppola, Coppola. How do you feel about that story, Frank? You think that story's true? No. I don't even feel like this is real, what you're making me watch it. <laughs> I feel so, like this is a, I feel like this is a bit from like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it feels unreal, right? It, it really does. It doesn't feel like it feels like it's a stage performance. I mean, I think it is. 100%. It is. Well, most most of these talk show things are to some degree staged, but so this is 1990. That that story he tells again. The name of the cousin changes. He tells a story in, I think it was 2007 on Conan, I see, retells the story. And the name of the cousin has changed. A couple details about what he wears has been, like, there, some have been excised and some have been added. Um, what it is, is I think it's a bit that he can tell. And he's he doesn't have the punchlines landed yet. And at some point, I'm going to show that to you, like that little bit, um, because um, in the future, because I I don't think Nicolas Cage is a real human being. This is what I'm starting to gather is that like he, he everything's kind of just staged in some way, especially when he's younger. I think he gets more like honest, like as he's older. Yeah. And I can see that, though, because if you think about being an actor, especially like this is a much lesser extent, but you know, I've always told you that you get you have work prank and you have real prank, and like the people right. at work don't get, you know, like me as a person, they get me as an employee, and it's just a different right. thing. So I don't know. I mean, I you know, yeah, I. It's really interesting to me because it's like as I watch this and I've thought about other actors, it's like Cage is trying to get himself over here. Oh yeah, and, and I also I also think that Cage's on coke right here. I'm pretty sure he is. You're probably right. Yeah. Um, like in this interview specifically, like, and I think like the actor people that become superstars. The more I thought about this, like after watching this interview, are and we talked about this a little bit on the uh, coming to America thing at the end. Like I mentioned it about Eddie Murphy. It's like Murphy had stopped trying to get himself over in that movie. 
where in younger in his career, it's like he had to get himself over. Cage, I think, is trying to get himself over here. And I think it's a really just awkward and miserable attempt to try to get himself over. The next thing I want you to listen to in this podcast or in this interview here, like, is the sh- the the, sh- the su- very subtle shade that he throws at Eric Stoltz here. Well, I couldn't have helped you as a name, could it? Well, you know, at that when I first started out, I was 16, and there was a guy named Eric Stoltz, a young <laughs> actor who was working on a movie with me called Fast Times. I'm sorry, man. I just thought oh, that workout over there. I know, yeah. really hot. Yeah. Well, it's warm in here tonight. A lot of the, a lot of happened, the audience have taken their vests off. What happened well. to the London fog? Where's the London fog? There is no Where's London. The rain? There is no London smog. Um, but it's the Clean well, Air Act. 1933. Anyway, yeah, he used to make fun of me because I was Coppola's nephew. You know, yeah. Godfather lines and Apocalypse Now lines. And after that, I just said, you know, I really don't need it. So I changed my name to Cage. And it's worked out very well, well for you. Well, thank you. Your, your versatility is, is quite extraordinary, if I be serious about how you act along. I mean, you were terrific in Moonstruck, which is the last thing I saw you. And then in, in Wild at Heart, um, how do you get into two different roles like that? Do you, I mean, do you, get, you, you seem a physical kind of person. Do you get into things physically? Yeah, Is that I how do. you work yourself up to it? Not as much as I used to because, you know, I do have a life to live. And when you start living the part of a crazy psychopathic killer, it can get you into trouble when you go home to your girlfriend. <laughs> so, <laughs> Didn't Richard Gere tell you off when you, were, when you were making Cotton Club? Yeah, he said if you do that, you know, you'll have about three more movies left in you. But... Uh, <laughs> So I quit. So you've quietened down, have you? I've, I'm, yeah. I'm much quieter. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, are. you seem a quiet guy. I'm very quiet. <laughs> I'm quiet. Welcome, Nicholas K- So that's not the, I think, full interview, but this is Nicholas Cage in 1990. So what I want to do occasionally is start like investigating him through the years in terms of how he's portraying himself publicly out of all of this, because shit is, gets real weird real quick if you think that's weird there's other like weird shit that's coming like here soon but there's also fascinating stuff about like how he approaches and describes his acting um so let me ask you this question uh uh-huh so your thought experiment is to make me watch more nicholas cage (laughs) more than the nicholas cage that i already watch every week yes and watch worse Nicolas Cage than yes. the already bad Nicolas Cage I watch every week. But this isn't what, this, this isn't a prediction. This isn't a prediction. This is a spoiler. It's going to get to a point where it's actually. I think you're going to respect Nicolas Cage more. I think it's going to get to a point where I am Nicolas Cage. <laughs> What's that experiment where some people were prisoners and some people were in? Or- guards oh right yeah yeah for an experiment or something yeah like i think that. it was stanford yeah uh-huh. it's, it's, it's what the fuck you're doing to me except i don't know what class bars i'm on it's like you're shocking me and yeah. do i do i get a treat or do do i get like the hose or something and because we've skipped around in time i also want to skip around in time every couple episodes by doing this so next time I want you to I want you to see what he is like in an interview, not coked up, and how he tries to like interact with uh, an interviewer from um, the time that Peggy Sue got married gets released. Okay. Um, and Carol Kane is in the clip, too. Um, <clears throat> who might be just as weird as Nicolas Cage. So I want to start 
investigating Cage a little bit because I've actually like been listening and reading way too much about Cage as a human being. Um, I got a couple of biographies you want to borrow, right? Um, but I, I as we are, we are on the downhill slide now. Like we are, like you know, we're over halfway definitely. So part of what I was interested in was figuring out who Nick Cage is and why the fuck he is making all these terrible movies and why is he why is he so weird in a lot of these roles and why is he not weird in other roles? Like that was what was most interesting to me. So I'm starting to do my own investigation through trying to figure out who Cage is a human being. And um yeah. I'm not going to do it every episode, but uh, occasionally I want to like start bringing in some real life cage into it. Well, bully for me. <laughs> yes. So you got the first fifty six ep- or fifty five episodes, and um, now occasionally I'm gonna I'm gonna put it back on you. <laughs> you haven't had to watch any of these movies. How how many of these movies have you watched? Like four. Has it been that many? Two? Three? I don't know. I'm sure you've watched more than that. You watch Mandy and you watch Color Out of Space and you watch oh, right. Wild at Heart. So there's at least three. No, I didn't watch Wild at Heart, right? Why didn't you? What are you Did I never about? bring it to you? No. It's oh, cold. It, was, it was cold outside and it's COVID. I wonder where the fuck it is. No, you were going to come over and then it's like, yeah, just didn't happen. Um, so no, I never watched that. And um, no, there's one other I watch. Uh, Red Rock, Red Rock West. Red Rock West, right? I watch that one. Uh, three, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But um, put it back on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna watch USS Indianapolis though, which maybe should make up for everything. Whenever you decide to watch that, I might force you to watch that this weekend. <laughs> All right. So, yep, 1990, Nick Cage is coked out and um, thinks he's a sex symbol by exposing his kind of half bird chest um, in a leather jacket and calls Eric Stoltz. That's so Eric Stoltz, the thing, a guy named Eric Stoltz in 1990, he called him a guy named Eric Stoltz, who is an actor. Right. <laughs> That's some passive aggressive shit right there. Talking um, about a movie, talking about an incident that happened seven years before. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, really got under your skin with that uh, Copeless shit, I guess. Um, yeah. Okay. But, all right. So that's that's all I got for tonight. Um, is all I got. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you for listening um, and have a good night. Bye.